This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is November 6th, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. My name is Shannon Garasio. During Hofstra, I was Shannon Bennett and had the privilege of working at WRHU from 2004 through 2008. And thanks for having me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for doing this. Do you remember the names of any of the shows or programs that you worked on at WRHU? I do, yes. Uh, I started with the Jazz Cafe as Sassy Shannon and quickly realized that was a tongue twister and reverted to calling myself Tony Bennett's niece, which is not true. Uh, but with my last name, I had to give it a try. And I worked <laughs> with the Favolosa Giovanna for Souvenir mm-hmm. di- Italia. Um, she's still one of my favorite people I've ever met. And of course, Newsline, Hofstra's Morning Wake Up Call. I had some really good chats on that with uh, Nick Rafter um, and that crew. And the sports department, the sports department locker room, that was really uh, where I spent most of my time was with them. Great, great. There's some great names you mentioned there. So I'm, I'm looking <laughs> forward to hearing the stories. Did you have any titles or positions at the station? I did not hold any positions at Hofstra Radio apart from representing the females in the sports department. And at that time, that was a large enough role for me. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So Sassy Shannon, was that was that yes. right? Is that you said that you it used that on the air? The yeah, it does not roll off the tongue. I don't know why I thought that. I was just trying to come up with something that stuck for jazz and it just yeah, it, it didn't it didn't work. It stayed wow. for about two episodes. Did you try any other nicknames or on-air personas? No, I honestly, I really did say uh, I was Tony Bennett's niece. I it was like a running joke, just because I was Shannon Bennett doing Jazz Cafe, and half of the songs were Tony Bennett. So I would always just say Uncle Tony. That sounds great <laughs> to me. I'm sure he sounded like a lovely man, and I'm sure he would have been been happy uh, to to have another relative to look after him. But yeah, uh, I agree. I'd like to think so. Yeah, that's fabulous. Um, so uh, this is a two-part question, and you can answer whatever order makes sense to you. But I'm always curious, what is it that brought people to the station to begin with? And then if you could paint a picture of what it was like, maybe people that you met or what it looked like, what it smelled like, what was happening at Hofstra Radio when you first showed up? Okay, so a great story here for origin story of what first brought me to the station I attended Bruce Beck and Ian Eagle sportscasting camp at Montclair State University my junior year of high school. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if he was working or interning there at the time, but I met the incomparable Jared Greenberg, who kept asking me why I didn't apply to Hofstra University. Mm-hmm. And he told me the mistake I was making with thinking about Syracuse. You know, you can't touch equipment there until junior year. Hofstra, you can get on the air right away. And I remember that day, uh, once I got done with camp, I went to my parents and said, what is Hofstra University? And let's go check it out. Wow. Yeah, it was one of those moments that you can't forget because I can truly say I, I did not know what Hofstra was. <laughs> and, and I love the way that you frame that because there's there's a great story that uh, Hall of Famer Todd Ant Tells. And I think it was when the when the basketball team went to play Notre Dame and on the back of the newspaper, it said, what's a Hofstra? Like, <laughs> you know, it's some sort of, you know, noun that they couldn't understand. And there's a whole article about what this little Long Island college was. So the way that you frame that, uh, that's great. Um, it's so true. And then after I was at Hofstra, they went, they were on the map because they hosted like three debates mm-hmm. uh, the year that I left there. And I felt like everybody knows Hofstra now, which is just fantastic, especially for uh, the students that are there now. 
Absolutely. All right. So Jared talks you into looking into this school. Did you go on a, on a on a tour with your parents? How did you get to Hofstra, and what was your introduction to the station like? I did my my first time going there. We went through Hempstead and did not come off of the Parkway, so that was very interesting. Mm-hmm. And then I had to decide in my head if I really like the school. I have to find a way to convince my parents that this will be safe for me. And I uh, I went over to RHU because I told Jared that I was coming to visit. And he showed me around the station. I got to meet people. I met Ed Ingalls. And uh, I could really say that my my life changed forever after that moment because I, I walked in and it felt like home. It was a microphone, people happy to be there. And the amount of camaraderie that I could see at that moment is what made me say, I'm, I'm ready to leave high school. Can I be here tomorrow? And it was just that type of, you know, I, I always knew that I wanted to be in broadcasting in, in some sort of way. So, uh, you know, I was like 10 years old when I think that I thought about that. And with that in mind, when, when you go somewhere and know that you could be on a microphone the, the day that you get there, of course, after the training class, um, it's, it's something special, something that you didn't get when you went to every other campus. Mm. So it was more of a feeling of excitement and inclusion. What about like the facilities themselves? Did you have an idea of what a radio, a college radio station would look like before you showed up? I didn't. I, I actually didn't know much about radio. I was more along the lines of looking at TV and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, radio to me felt like when I was doing the high school announcements and, mm-hmm. um, I also worked with someone in high school that used to broadcast our football games. His name was Roger Hendler. Uh, he did sports for Philadelphia and uh, I used to sit in the booth with him sometimes. So I kind of knew things on scene. I really didn't know what a studio was going to feel like. So to me, that being really the first radio station uh, studio that I was in, I just thought it was incredible. And then here I am looking at a record player. Like I, I'd be more nostalgic to see something that didn't look so new age. And at that time, Hofstra was perfect. It was just, you know, the padded rooms, your microphones, your chair. And that's, that's all I really needed to see to know that I I wanted to be part of it. And you're meeting Ed Ingalls and you've met Jared Greenberg. That's a great introduction to the radio business. Yeah. How lucky was I, right? I, I ended up stumbling upon Jared and this is before, because we only crossed paths for one year while I was there and he really helped shape what I was going to do with college, because especially attending a sportscasting camp, you know, you're there with 20 other students who are also pursuing the same thing. And there's about 10 universities that everybody's looking at together. And I knew that I I had to choose my options wisely. Hofstra was going to be close to home for me being from New Jersey. And right away after those conversations with him that week, I I applied for early decision. And fortunately, I got in. (laughs) <laughs> wow. The rest is history. Mm. Um, so you make this decision and uh, do you remember showing up uh, on campus? Was there a meeting? You know, Did you get involved in the training class? What happened once you were actually on campus at Hofstra? Once I was there, I knew that I was going to apply for the first training class when I got there because even the summer leading into it, I was talking to Ed and he kind of took me under his wing as soon as I got there. And I used to go and sit in, in the radio station, not being able to do anything, just watching from the sideline before I I started the training class. And I was, again, lucky to know Jared. And then I met 
uh, Josh Harmon at the time, uh, Matt Grice, Diana Ingalls, you know, they, they were all there and I, I would be able to sit and listen, of course, couldn't touch or, or do anything because that was not allowed until you took the training class. But, you know, once I got into that training class, I, I was really allowed to go participate and listen in. And these people were br- brilliant. They were just beyond brilliant. I was going into sports casting, being a former athlete, and I had a whole different outlook and perspective as to what I wanted my career to be based on, you know, personal stories, sideline, that type of take. And these, this group of people, when I tell you they knew every stat, every player mm-hmm. uh, for the past 50 years, I was sitting there saying, I didn't have time to do any of this. I, I played sports. So it was just such a juxtaposition for me to get used to. And it was almost like a foreign environment because you know, I was kind of the big person on campus in high school because I was an athlete. And then coming into RHU, I was not. I ate that humble pie right away because I realized that these people worked harder than anyone I've ever seen. So uh, to their credit, I just knew that I was going to have to put a lot of time in if, if I wanted to be up to their standards and caliber. So you you bought into, you know, the idea of, of this radio station in this program. You mentioned earlier you were thinking about TV. Were you taking TV classes as well? What else were you looking into? I did. I, I was in Hofstra TV. I, I hosted a couple shows there, so I was back and forth. I, I hung out at Dempster a lot in between that hallway. Um, but I knew that radio was going to be the launch pad for mm-hmm. a more successful career because as up and coming as the TV station was, they just didn't have it together as much as WRHU. I mean, there was honestly, there was no comparison. So uh, my TV friends would look at me and say, you're going over to radio. I would look at my TV friends and say, how are you not in radio? Mm-hmm. And that conversation still continues to this day. And I still talk to those friends <laughs> about it. <laughs> so so you're, you're, you're sort of living in both worlds, but it sounds like you're, you're leaning more towards radio. Um, were there other people doing that or did you feel like that was just something that you were doing on your own? That's a great question. There, there were maybe a couple people, but... Not many. Uh, if if you were a person in radio, you really stuck to radio because there was so much work to do uh, from all the different shows and just ideas that you had. I mean, while I was there, they even came up with the show, A League of Their Own, mm. and uh, the absolutely wonderful, magnificent Fran Spencer uh, was one of the people to start that and just came over to me and said, hey, you want to try talking on this show? There, there were just so many opportunities in radio and in TV. It was such a long production just to do a one hour show hmm. sometimes. you know, It took like three weeks to do a one hour show and you, you can't compare the time and the practice that you got at radio. So um, most people were sticking to radio, but you know, I, I knew if I wanted to be on TV, I had to try to get that, that demo reel somehow. Mm. Right. So, so I was just trying to, to straddle up both worlds, um, sometimes unsuccessfully, but I tried my best. <laughs> yeah. I, I was just curious because when, when I was there, it was a definite divide because the radio station was in the basement of Memorial Hall and uh, the TV facilities were in Dempster Hall, which was relatively new. And that was sort of the flagship of the moment. And there was not a lot of crossover. There were a few people who tried to bring people over and it, it wasn't completely exclusive. But then, um, you know, after I left and the radio station moved over to what was then called the Dempster Annex, there was, I, I, you know, physically 
the departments were closer together. And, and some people said, yeah, it was easier to do both, but it, it definitely seemed still like different worlds at the time. Oh, Is it was absolutely different yeah. worlds. Yeah. I, even today, if you know people in radio and TV, it's, it's different worlds. So mm-hmm. I, I got my first taste of that while I was there. And after it was really known more for film uh, when I was there instead of TV. So a mm. lot of the TV people were doing short films and um, I think the show was called Thursday night live. They did like a, you know, a spoof off of Saturday night live. Can't mm. remember what the name of it was, but uh, that was probably their biggest show that they were doing. And I did things such as midday mania where they'd have a basketball panel and it was kind of easy for me to slither my way into it because there weren't many other females that were trying to do sports at the time. So uh, that kind of gave me that olive branch into, into both worlds. And I, you know, I had a lot of champions for me when I was at WRHU. I was not that close with Bruce Avery mm-hmm. uh, or John Mullen, but when I tell you that Ed Ingalls and I were close, uh, you know, I could call him at any time of day and, and ask a question. He was really my, my home away from home. And from the very beginning of when I got into WRHU, I knew that he was going to be one of the most special people in my life to which he, we worked professionally together the summer after my freshman year with Ralph Benarchek, we were doing professional softball. Mm. So just the, the way that he believed in me led me to believe in myself. So I think that's really what made me lean more towards radio than TV because of having a mentor like that TV uh, for me did not really have that person Mm. um, that was there and had your back for everything. Um, did you have direct conversations with Ed about, uh, trying to break into sports broadcasting as a woman? Were there, were there, you know, bits of advice he gave you or was it more just sort of, you know, we're talking about, you know, getting reps and doing reporting and trying things out. Was there ever a direct conversation about, you know, some of the obstacles that you might see at that time? Constantly. That's a great question, Brian. We talked about it quite often. He, set me up with an interview with Ann Liguori of WFAN. Mm. And I had two internships with Ann at the U.S. Open for tennis. And tennis was really the sport I was most passionate about, which is also what made it hard for me fitting in with the guys because I could have talked for days about tennis, but that didn't come up at all ever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. So Ed knew that and saw that in me. And he pursued talking to Ann, seeing if she needed an intern And that was my launch pad uh, for what was going to be the biggest moment of my life, which was um, the U.S. Open where Andre Agassi was retiring in 2006. And Mm. Mark Ernay, WRHU alum, who is also one of the best people in the business, uh, stuck out his neck for me and knew that I was interning there. Somehow, some way, he found out that ESPN Radio did not have someone at the U.S. Open. They were pretty new at the time, and I think that they just didn't get credentials in time. It, it's hard to get a U.S. Open credential. It takes a long time for the yeah. approval process. So they weren't going to be able to get it in time. And Mark said, hey, I have somebody that you can interview over the phone. I, I mean, I was 19 years old and picked up a telephone, landline, by the way, at the U.S. Mm-hmm. Open mm-hmm. and interviewed with them at like 6 p.m. at night. And... That night, I was on air doing updates from the U.S. Open. 
And wow. it was just, it was unreal. It was unreal. I, I owe everything of that to Ed Ingalls putting me in touch with the right people. And then Mark Ernay, uh sticking his neck out for someone that he barely knew. I, I mean, we had met each other at the open working there, but for him to believe in me that much to say that I could do something on air. And it's, it's really one of the best uh, moments of my life. Absolutely. Another Hall of Famer. And I, I think Mark would, yeah. would would honestly say that if if Ed gave his stamp of approval to someone, you know, he's on board <laughs> because you, you trusted Ed. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure he encouraged plenty of people and gave a lot of feedback, but he wouldn't necessarily give the thumbs up to someone unless he thought they could do the job. I would love to say that. I just, you know, I, I can't give Mark Renee enough credit for the way that he stepped in for me at that moment. He just, it really meant a lot to me, especially just a young 19 year old watching Andre Agassi's career end, mm-hmm. being upset about that. And then he made such a fantastic run that I, you know, I got to be on air until the third round. So it was, uh, it was quite a moment. Fantastic. That's great stuff. Uh, I want to go back a little bit, though, to getting started at the station and the famous training classes. And I don't know if you knew what you were in for when you signed up and got into Hofstra, but uh, from what I understand, the training class was was pretty intense. Do you remember anything about that? It was rigorous. I mean, here I was taking five classes. I didn't realize that I was taking six. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fun part about that was you were finally in a room with everyone who had a shared agenda. You know, you didn't really know when you were taking classes, if you were taking a core class, because that's what you're usually doing freshman year mm-hmm. of college, what people actually want to do. When you sat down for that, I believe it was Wednesday night for the Wednesday night class, you were sitting amongst people who were your peers. And it kind of felt like that law school joke that they say, you know, look left, look right. Somebody's going to be next to you and somebody's not. Um, in the future. And that was one of those moments. And I can picture myself looking back and saying, wow, I think that that person really has the chops to do this one day. And other people where I said, I I don't know what their interest is. And then I'd hear them on a show and I'd say what their passion for music is just unattainable. So it was, it was truly a invigorating experience. It was hard, but it really prepared you for everything. It's such a great idea. And I, I really applaud the station for, for doing the training class. And I had Andrew Falzone and Alicia Battinelli hmm. leading the charge on it. And um, everything was more news focused because that's kind of what they yeah, were. Yeah, that was their, their the realm yeah. of. You know. So for me, I was also just as a political science minor, I got interested in, in maybe doing things like that and election coverage. So it was eye-opening for sure to see that side of it because I had only known about the sports side of it. And then to realize how in, ingrained we were in news, I just, uh, you know, it, it opened my eyes to everything. I just, I don't know if I ever got through that BAS checklist for, or <laughs> the, the emergency alert system. I call it BAS because that's what we send out now in, in my current job. But um, I think it was EAS. There were like yeah. seven steps to it. And we were allowed to like write down the answer for one question on the test, if I remember correctly, or we were allowed to like not answer one question. And of course, that was the only one that you couldn't not do it for. So right. you know, we're always just trying hard to, to remember that part. But it was it was incredible. And and thankfully, many of us didn't have to do that, you know, or too much or, or too often, because <laughs> uh, I was always a still to this day, I've worked at other radio stations and, and in other markets and, and you go, 
what are we supposed to do? It's just, it's, you know, there's, there's, there's Where's someone. The hope- for this? Can somebody just tell me the list? <laughs> right, right. There's always someone in charge who knows, but uh, for the rest of us, it's, it's kind of flying by the seat of your pants, but you get through this class and you, you pass the test. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember getting on the air the first time? Gosh, do I remember getting on air the first time? I don't think that I remember the first time. I remember my first time with sports. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember my, my first time was probably like a Hofstra's morning wake up call or newsline. Cause I'm pretty sure that's where they start all of us out. So it was probably a, a sports update on newsline and I was shaking. It was the first moment in my life where I said, I don't know if I'm going to be able to talk because my voice was frazzled. Like, you know, hi, like that, you know, really mm-hmm. rickety. And I remember holding my leg because we were up on those stools. So I couldn't really get my feet on the ground. And just taking a deep breath. And I was a little frazzled at first, but then I got through it and I said, okay, like this is really, this is what I want to do. And you want to feel challenged. You don't want to feel so comfortable that you own the mic. And let me tell you something at WRHU, each person next to you could be better than you by eon. So every moment was a learning moment. And uh, in that moment, I said, okay, I got to improve a little bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you talked about being an athlete in high school, and mm-hmm. I'm sure there were plenty of pressure moments. And then there's this first time on the air or getting used to it. Which is the bigger pressure situation? Oh, great question. I would say- I was going to say that's not a fair question at all. It's yeah, a ridiculous question, but- Do you want to know? No, you want to know why it's fair? Sure. It's fair because nobody could see you doing radio. That was the beauty of radio. Radio was the best place to perfect anything that you were practicing because even if you messed up, nobody was quite looking you in your eyes, aside from your producer and the other panelists, uh, telling you like, oh my God, you really just messed that up. You could wait until you were done the show and then you would hear from people. Whereas sports, you know, you hear a boo or uh, you lose right away. <laughs> so so I, I would say in that moment that, that sports would be harder, but uh, being judged by your peers, especially the sports department, man, these guys were so competitive. They were, mm-hmm. you know, one person was smarter than the next and knew more than the other one. And I felt a lot of times I was just sitting there with my popcorn watching them rift with each other. So it was uh, a, lo- a lot of times where me and Diana Ingalls would lock eyes and be like, did, did you hear that? Did you see what they're doing? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, it, you know, it was always interesting, always interesting. Who were some of the people that you were doing panels with or working with on, on shows like that? Uh, so for sports, it was, I mean, I can go all around, but let's just say like Greg Rice, Evan Wilner, Justin Paley, uh, Brian Mapes, Matt Shortis, Brett Zoller, AJ, AJ Hall, Andrew Macchio, Anthony Shalute was awesome. Mike Tyne. I, you know, those guys were like a second family. Um, Sadiq came in uh, towards the end of my career, and he was uh, one of the best um, additions that we've we've had in the sports department. Um, I'm trying to think engineering wise. Matt Grice and and Diana were just they were masterful um, behind the panel. Josh Harmon, um, yeah, those are those are some of the names that are top of mind. Those are those are some that's great names, name. and uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's great company to be in. Um, was there a moment where you got to feel comfortable on the air, whether it's doing sports or news or music or, or any of it, where you felt, okay, I've, I've got this. I, I think I know what I'm doing. I feel comfortable. Was there a light bulb moment or is it just eventually after a certain amount of time you knew you were good? The light bulb moment for me was Hofstra's morning wake up call. 
first waking up that early for something in college mm-hmm. was not easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once you got there, the red light went on and you could talk about anything and everything. It was wonderful. It was just one of those opportunities where uh, everything came together and you could sit around with four people that you knew really well or that you didn't know at all and bring up topics and discussions. And it was an open-minded era then that we don't really have now where, mm. you know, I, if I was conservative and my um, co-host on it was more liberal democratic, we could have huge discussions that I think is really missing from a lot of things today. Today, you really just get one side of a lot of things, or you just get the the facts as to what happened. And there were a lot of moments in Hofstra's morning wake up call that taught me, taught the other person. And it, it gave you dignity and grace to, to live in someone else's shoes and really learn something. We, we look, you learned from each other, everybody had different perspectives and that's really what college was about. It's what political science is about. And, and the radio station, it was learning, evolving, becoming a better person. And to me, there was no better way to do that and to get your feet wet and start feeling comfortable than Hofstra's morning wake up call. Hmm. That's a remarkable environment for anyone to work in, but especially uh, young, bright, ambitious people. Is that? Do you think the atmosphere was created uh, among the the people who were working on the show? Did that come from Ed? Did that come from Bruce? How did how did that sort of environment exist at that time? That's a great question. I, I'm not really sure. I think that you know the students did a lot, and students that were in charge of shows and producers. Um, you know, from station manager to program director uh, along those lines, they really did their jobs as if it was their full-time gig and they did nothing else that they weren't mm. a student. So I, I, I want to give a lot of the credit to the seniors at that time uh, for bringing us into it. But, you know, you always feel like you had Bruce behind you through the window watching and like, you know, am I doing okay? You'd give a thumbs up sometimes. Sometimes you get nothing. So that kind of uh, drew you to, to wanting to do better. But uh, then Ed would come in there. He'd like hit my cough mic, pat me on the back, say, yeah, yeah, this sounds good today. This sounds good today. Or say, you tired? Did you go out last night? You went mm-hmm. out last night. Okay. <laughs> so it was, um, it, it was just a great environment all around. And I, I was just beyond impressed with, with the company that, that we were able to keep. Hmm. Thank you for, for sharing that. Uh, it's, it's, it's great to hear it because I think through multiple generations at Hofstra Radio, there's, there's a spirit of encouragement. There's a spirit of let's try things out and passing knowledge down from generation to generation. And it's nice to see when someone's got a specific experience where they can point to and say, yeah, that is, that is where other people helped me or that's where I sort of found my feet and were, was able to grow from there. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, was there a moment where you felt comfortably comfortable socially at the station where you knew these were peers that you wanted to spend your time with? Again, was there a light bulb moment or did you just kind of jump in and, and feel like you were welcome? Brian, that is such an interesting question because, as I said, I was one of the only females in the sports department. Mm. And uh, the other two women were more so engineers. So I was on site most of the time. So it was tough. It was really tough for me to come into this environment of um, 
guys that knew everything about every sport. And I was like, who wants to go outside and throw a football with me? Hmm. You know, it was, uh, it was a very different mindset. And also I was friends with a lot of the athletes while I was at Hofstra. So I felt like I had that edge where I knew if somebody wasn't feeling well, or if somebody had, you know, like a bone spur in their elbow um, before a big game. And I kind of led into, leaned into that. And I took that angle and approach on everything where, Mm. you know, what I was going to have was I knew who the starter was going to be that next day because I might've seen them the night before the party. So (laughs) it was, I, I really took that scoop and I didn't really hang out or socialize at the station because if you're in the sports department, you're there all weekend. You're really there, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I would take my time during the week and, and go see other friends and uh, and try to ingrain myself that way. I was also in a sorority at Hofstra. So I, I had a different set of alliances, but I didn't feel that comfortable at the station at first. I really didn't because it, it's hard to find your footing when you are really the only female in a room. Um And I didn't look at it the same way everybody else did. I looked at it as, you know, I wanted to improve upon myself, but I didn't necessarily want to do play by play. We kind of had to work every position being in the sports department. Mm. And I even, I think that I was the first female to host um, the locker room on Sundays, but I only did it once. It was a horrible experience for me because these guys were so quick. I was with Evan Wilner and he helped me so much. Evan was really great and patient with me um, and trying to gain more information as to what I could do better. But my passion wasn't there. So it was hard for me to want to do that. So I just, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I really didn't see the whole, you know, when people weren't in class, they were hanging out at the station. I, I really wasn't that person. I, I was there when I had a job to do or on the weekends, but I, you know, I was there basically every weekend. So, mm. um, you know, it was, uh, it was nice that hoagie smell in the room. I could picture it right now, like where we'd all get subs from Hafstra Deli or whatnot and just sit around for, for eight hours, whether it was football leading into basketball. And, um, there, there was always something, there was always something going on, um, with that. The, the hoagie smell that's that's great that's that's it's very it evocative so so <laughs> where, where was this was that in studio was that in one of the meeting rooms in the office where where were you guys hanging out and planning and talking about all this stuff in one of the meeting rooms in the mm. one right next to the main office okay uh, to the right of it where there was a long table at, at least at that time that's that's where it was yeah. Um, yeah we didn't right when i graduated is when they created that like the glass journalism room and, and those types of things but uh yeah it was it was nitty-gritty then you were just in a meeting room with that small little window hole in the door and um and sitting around a table, just talking and, and planning everything and, and waiting for the next time that you were going to be on air. Because, you know, if, if guys were doing a game and you were doing updates for it, you had some lead time there that, you know, like an hour that you were just listening to them do it, you'd be sitting in studio at that point. So it was it was a lot of uh, areas around the station. But uh, I, I'd say I, I don't I don't know if these guys would mention me at all to be someone who influenced them, but I think that they influenced my life and what I wanted to do more than I could have ever known at the time. Hmm. And, you know, it's going to sound weird to say this, but thinking about Hofstra radio in those early days and, and what it meant to me, I knew while I was at WRHU that it was going to be close to, if not the peak of my career. 
And, and it was for a multitude of reasons, most of which being the accessibility of being an unpaid broadcaster, having access to nearly any event you imagined, it was attainable. And I worked professionally the entire time that I was in college. So I had a taste of what post WRHU would look like. And it's difficult and very challenging to make it in this industry. Mm. And, uh, you know, my, my favorite part about WRHU was that I, I was hanging out with friends and then going on air with them. That was never going to be the case in the real world because you couldn't mm-hmm. choose your friends and say, hey, let's go do a show together. It just doesn't happen. And well, I guess now it does with, with podcasts sometimes. But, sometimes, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, sometimes they're those, those fortunate souls. But um, you know, our, our HU at that time, I, I, I just realized how special it was and, and how lucky I was to be there. Um, it's been alluded to and, and mentioned in a number of cases that the sports department often operates uh, like an unofficial fraternity. And, and I think you were given a sense of that, that, yeah, this is a, a brotherhood of competitive guys who, you know, want to know everything and they want to be on the mic and they want to do those things. And I guess there's, there's a somewhat healthy sense of competition, but was, is there also a sense of, you know, is, is there a downside to that sort of, fraternal okay, so competition. Off, I think that I forgot to mention Pete McCarthy and oh. Pete McCarthy to me was, I think he was sports director then. And he was easily the most interesting person in a room. Pete hmm. McCarthy was brilliant beyond his years and had that quality of switching on and off for when he was going on air and could talk sports with anyone. But he also had an easiness about him off the mic, but just very interesting. Uh, that's, that's the way that I could put it. I could never figure him out as a person, which uh, is both a compliment um, and so- something that you could question at one point. But but he, he was always like that mysterious person that you're like, how does Pete do it and switch on and off so effortlessly? But that's why he is who he is today. Um, the competitiveness. Sure, it was really competitive, more competitive there than post-college because there were only so many spots and there were only so many people that were available for certain games. And, you know, you had only, what, 12 people probably going in between Division One sports. It's, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot of work and a lot of places you have to be. And certain people liked more sports than another one. Mm-hmm. Somebody wanted an opportunity. They didn't do well their first opportunity, so they'd ask for it again. But somebody else already stepped into your place. So there was not much room for error. There really wasn't because you also had uh, alumni that were possibly, I'm putting this in air quotes, listening to any game because they're huge now. You know, mm-hmm. we, we have some huge names that went through WRHU and they were in the area. So maybe they wanted to listen to a Hofstra game. You, you never knew who was going to be listening to your game. So the pressure was really on uh, anytime you did that. And uh, I just got to, I got to thank the people that had patience with me considering, you know, play by play is absolutely nothing that I, I wanted to get near, but I loved doing color. Color was really fun for basketball and, and softball, especially, but, but yeah, these, these guys were in a league of their own, I should mm. say, because the, the competitiveness, I don't know how they kept up with it, but they, they probably joke about it now and just say, Oh no, we were best friends. Yeah, they, <laughs> there, there were some great times in there where I was just sitting and, and eating my popcorn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, well, I want to thank you so much, uh, for, for sharing these stories. Uh, it's been, 
uh, a real delight to listen to them. And I have a feeling you have a few more stories and I have some more questions and I'm hopeful we can, uh, we can have another conversation sometime. This has been great. Certainly. Brian, thank you so much for what you're doing to, to keep the spirit and the memory alive for those of us who went to WRHU. And I love listening to these. So uh, keep on keeping on.